History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. If you hear a historical story, and at the end you feel thoroughly satisfied by it, and find that it perfectly coincides with your own political inclinations, it probably means that you're actually listening to ideology or mythology. History won't oblige us, and much of its challenge and interest come from its immovable differentness from us and from our own world. So what we have to do is to approach it as calmly as possible. Hour three of a Tuesday morning means Dave Bowman is with us. Of course, he's been with us the whole day, and it means Dave does history in this hour every Tuesday on Bill McLive. Nice to have you along on 92.7 FM WMMB. Headline at BillMick.com, when ads backfire, it consumed the first two hours of the show, and especially that last hour as we talked that uh, he gets us ad during the Super Bowl. Interesting conversation. Appreciate everything you folks had to say about it. And, uh, Dave, that would include you. Uh, interesting and fun topic and uh, got people uh, thinking a little bit. Whether the ad accomplished its goal, how do we know, right? Yeah. Religion is a fascinating thing. And people, you know, they always tell you, don't talk about religion and politics. Well, we what do we do here every day? I was going to say, we talk politics every day. Why not religion? Yeah, let's add that in. What are we talking back to the political realm? Lincoln's birthday was yesterday, and you've got an Abraham Lincoln. Dave does history for us today. Isn't his birthday next Monday? 12th. No, no, next Monday, right? President's Day. Yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, they they kind of wiped all those out. Because I think they all fell too close together, and they said, ah, let's let's bring these together. Mm, They just wanted a federal holiday. Yes, you're right. Yesterday was his birthday. And, um, you know, when you look at, presidents of the united states every year these his, every year some magazine will have these we interviewed a hundred historians and here's their list of the top presidents and lincoln is always either number one or number two it's it, depending on the list it's washington and lincoln and they're kind of interchangeable as to who's number one and who's number two uh-huh usually fdr is third it just kind of depends on what list you're you're putting together I always like to play with it because, you know, it's it's not who's the best president. It's who's your favorite president. And that's, yeah, that's that's more accurate as a, of a question, is right, it not? Right. And it's for me, that's a different question because I always considered George Herbert Walker Bush to be my president. He was president when I was in the Navy and during the first Gulf War. But my favorite president is, you know, is is is. Warren Harding, because he's he's so bizarre. Lincoln, though, gets regularly chosen as as people's favorite president, and it's it's almost odd in some ways today because we hold Lincoln in such such regard. If you go to Washington D.C., and I did last summer, the the president's the Lincoln Memorial is just. It's awe-inspiring. It is. And, and I've only been to see it once, and I was a sixth grader, and it was just massive and, oh, my gosh. I hadn't been there in a long time. I probably hadn't been there since the early, maybe the late 90s. Um, but the day before we had gone to Gettysburg, we'd seen where Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Washington, D.C. the next day, and I took Ben and one of my favorite pictures of that entire trip is Ben climbing up on the on the step and putting his hands on the engraved words of the Gettysburg Address. I remember and seeing that just, picture. 
you know, to me, it just, and it wasn't posed. He didn't, he just did it. And it was so, to me, it was so encapsulating of the entirety of what I was trying to get him to understand. What we don't grasp today with the reverence with which we hold Abraham Lincoln is how divisive of a figure he was and how, and I know this will sound strange to say, but how hated he was not just by the South. The Republican Party, many in the Republican Party, hated him. In fact, one of his cabinet members, cabinet members, would refer to him as, quote, the original gorilla, unquote. We don't understand that, and so we tend to forget the, not just the importance of things that he did, but the way he went about doing them. Dave does history. We're looking at Abraham Lincoln. Where do you want to begin with all this, Dave? Well, you might as well begin at the beginning when, well, not the total beginning. I, we can probably skip over the, you know, the early childhood of Abraham Lincoln where he was born in a log cabin in Kentucky and all that stuff. And let's kind of pick it up when he's 23 years old. 23, Bill. 23 okay. years old, he decides that he's going to run for Congress of the United States because, well, there's a lot going on in the world. And he decides in 1832 that he uh, he needs to get involved. Actually, he's running for the Illinois General Legislature, not Congress. Sorry. Okay. So he's running for his state legislature again at the age of 23. I, I think that's important to emphasize. It's going to come into play a little bit later. Some We've got an 18-year-old running for school board here now. So, well, hey, get involved young, baby. And, and it wasn't all that unusual. He, he did lose that, uh, that election. His primary, uh, his primary issue was improving navigation on, on the local rivers because that was how those were the highways of the day. And so he wanted to improve that navigation. That would mean things like dredging and ports and that sort of thing. He lost the election. He got a late start and didn't have a lot of connections, and so it didn't go well. But two years later, or yeah, two years later, he ran again for the General Assembly, and this time he won. Ends up serving four consecutive terms in the House of Representatives as a member of the Whig Party, W-H-I-G Party, from 1834 to 1842. Now, the Whig Party was, I guess the best way to put it is the, they are the, uh, precursor to the Republicans. You know, I don't even like that phrase. They're <laughs> they're more the they're more the remnants of the Federalist Party from the time of John Adams. So, in, in fact, if you if you wanted to look at them as the Republicans, the the nation Republicans, it would be difficult because while many of the Whigs would go to the Republican Party, it wasn't because they agreed with the Republican Party; it was because they disagreed. Uh, with the Democrat Party, or as they were known then, the democracy. During his time in the state legislature, Lincoln really honed his skills. Now, remember, he's still very young. He studies law in his spare time. He is admitted to the bar. He begins practicing as a lawyer. He focuses on issues important to his constituency, states infrastructure, bridges, roads, canals, and he's a big uh, he's a big proponent of the moving of the Illinois state capital to Springfield 
from a little town, I don't know if you knew this or not, the original capital of Illinois was a place called Vandalia. It's one of those things you learn by accident as you're going through history. Lincoln emerges as a leader among the Whigs. He advocates for the for the for the general Whig economic agenda, uh, emphasizing support for banks, protective tariffs, internal improvements, things that you know libertarians today probably wouldn't go for. He is known for his eloquence, his very good and thoughtful debating, and most importantly, his ability to reach compromises. His legislative work, his legal practice helped build his reputation across the state of Illinois, and he becomes what we would say today you know, known. He becomes a name. Now, Lincoln, it's important to understand that in the middle of all these debates, is not an abolitionist. He does not believe in ending slavery. He is morally opposed to slavery, but that's not the same thing. Anti-slavery and abolitionism are two different things. Sounds strange to our ears today because we tend to we tend to conflate the two. But he's involved in drafting resolutions that disapprove of the abolitionist movement, but also condemn slavery as a found as, as being founded on injustice, and it's just bad policy. In eighteen forty six he's finally elected to the United States House of Representatives for one term in the Whig Party. But he gains national attention because he opposes the Mexican-American War, he argues with President Polk's justification for the war, and he likes to take advantage of, of what they called in those days spot resolutions, today we'd just call them well speeches, to question the administration. He really badgers the Polk administration about why we're fighting this war with Mexico, and he believes that it's really just to expand slavery which, of course, what, what uh, others have believed as well. After he leaves Congress, he returns to Illinois, focuses on his law practice, and becomes more and more involved with the national debate over slavery. The Kansas-Nebraska Act is all, all about this slavery issue. And in the late 1850s, of course, and we talked about this uh, on Dave Does History, we talked about the Lincoln-Douglas debates and how important those were to the ongoing debate over whether or not the country should be slave or should we get away from slavery? What should we do with regards to this? And it's those debates that really vault him into the national conversation. Remember, he's not in Congress. He's not in the Senate. He's not even in the Illinois General Legislature at this time. He's just honest Abe the lawyer from Springfield. But that is going to get him onto the national stage elected as president of the United States. And we dig into that more as Bill McLive continues with this edition of Dave Does History on this Tuesday morning on WMMB. Nice to have you along. And we're back in moments taking a look at the Lincoln presidency and more with Dave Bowman on Bill McLive.
our weekly dive into history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Mick Live. And this week, Dave does history focusing on Abraham Lincoln. Okay, we've got him up to uh, just about to run for the presidency, Dave. And uh, we're a country that's divided over slavery, and he's a great compromiser. Even tried that some in his presidency. Didn't really work out the way he might have hoped, huh? Well, it it might not appear to at first, but like an ad, it uh, it might have had a subtler undercurrent that that did. In 1858, and we did a whole show on these Lincoln-Douglas debates, mm-hmm. but I, I just want to remind people, is these, these series of debates where politicians actually, you know, talked about issues instead of yeah. talking points, um, that really focused the nation's attention on the slavery issue. And of course, it did provide a great deal of exposure for Lincoln, again, these—it's it remarkable how rapidly this information got out because of the development of, of a version of shorthand, the telegraph. Literally before the end of the debate, people in other cities would be reading the first half of the debates, having been published in newspapers already. So, wow, th- this information was getting out there, and it made Lincoln a household name. Now, again, Lincoln was not anti-slavery. He was not an abolitionist. He was anti-slavery. He wasn't an abolitionist. He believed that slavery was morally wrong and repugnant. And like many other people in the North, he, he opposed it. But that didn't mean that he was in favor of getting rid of it in the sense of making, you know, taking away property that belonged to other people. But in the process of these debates that focused attention on that, the Dred Scott decision, the ideological divisions in the country, you know, in essence, you had three groups of people. You had slave, pro-slavery, you had anti-slavery, and you had abolitionists. And all three of these groups are revolving around each other, interacting with each other, and arguing with each other. Well, you know, how do we do this? Which kind of foreshadows the American Civil War. You're mm-hmm. going to have people that are fighting to defend what they called states' rats, which was the rat to own another human being. You have people that believe that this was sort of a holy war to get rid of slavery, and you had people that believe that it was just to preserve the union. The The enduring legacy of those debates is such that it made Lincoln, like I said, that national name. It's sad to me that we today don't really understand those debates. We've almost none of us have read them. We don't understand the context of it. And what would really amaze me is if, you know, if we did understand those things, would we put up with the politicians that we have today? And I <laughs> like that angle. Don't know that we would. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Now that I found the mouse was able to fire the 30 second promo, we can get back to talking this. It's funny. It was on one side of the screen. I went to move it and it disappeared completely. So I love that. Hmm. Mice. You know, yeah. they just scurry away whenever you need them. So valuable, right? Yeah. yeah. So by the summer of 1860, Bill, the nation is, well, in the parlance of the, of the modern era, it's the most divided we've ever been. Yep. Up to that point anyway. When the Republicans meet in Chicago for their convention, and remember, this is back when conventions meant something as opposed to to now. Lincoln is not 
he's not even really in consideration. There's some folks, of course, who like him, and there's some folks who support him. In fact, the Republican nominee appears to be a guy by the name of William Seward, who you know, you just don't know that you know. William Seward, in 1867, as Secretary of State, will buy Alaska from Russia, and it will be called Seward's Folly. It's the same guy. Okay. He is actually the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party. He's the most well-known, he's the best politician, he's all of these things, but he has a problem. And his problem is that he is seen as so radical as anti-slavery and abolitionist that they are afraid that if they nominate him, they will lose votes in the Midwest where these attitudes may not fly. And so there's a lot of... uh, discussion in the early days of that convention about if we nominate Seward, we're going to lose because Douglas, the guy that Lincoln debated, is the nominee for the South, for the Democrats. He's seen as a Southern friendly Democrat. And if we nominate Seward, he's going to lose to Douglas. I mean, <laughs> this is no way. So they start looking around going, well, what can we do? By the first ballot, when they take the first ballot, Lincoln finishes second behind Seward, but not really all that close. But Seward doesn't get enough votes to secure the nomination by just a few votes. This surprises everybody because they just assumed that Seward was going to be the nominee. But all of a sudden, Lincoln, out of nowhere, has all this momentum. They take the second ballot, and again, Lincoln finishes second, but this time... It's, uh, it's, it's close. I mean, it's all of a sudden, all these votes are leaving Seward and going to Lincoln. And they're within a vote of each other. And by the time they hold the third ballot at the convention, Lincoln wins it. Eventually, unanimously, one of the states will, New York will actually change, New York, which is Seward's home state, will change their votes after the, after the third ballot so that Lincoln is unanimously nominated. And everybody is like, well... We got the guy we want, the guy that can debate Douglas, clearly, the guy that, you know, can stand up with Douglas, the guy that um, he's not, he doesn't like slavery, but he's not so radical that he's going to charge into the South and just start taking people's slaves away from them. And that's, that's seen as more palatable to the new, to the new Republican Party, which again, kind of Whiggish, kind of not, but he, he's, He's really seen in that vein. The problem for this whole thing with the Democrats is, or as they like to call themselves in that era, the democracy, is Stephen Douglas is their nominee. And Stephen Douglas, who is seen as very friendly to the South, the Northern Democrats, and there are significant numbers of Northern Democrats, don't like that. And so all of a sudden, Douglas is in trouble Lincoln is now the nominee, and of course, this is going to lead to the American Civil War. Oh, so we've got things coming up. And um, inside that convention, was there reporting like there was on the debates? Were people yes. following? The- yes. Oh, yeah. They had a whole telegraph area set up for, for people to telegraph stuff. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Oh, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. And speaking of, just since we've got a minute or so left here before we pause, 
Is there a chance that we're going to see a relevant convention for like the Democrats with everything that's going on with Joe Biden? No. You don't think I don't, so? I don't think so. I think that, I, I, look, conventions have long since gone away because parties didn't like them because they lost control of things and they didn't like that as we but saw. But Biden bails out as is being projected by so many. Yeah, those are the same people that were that four years ago were telling me that Joe Biden wasn't going to be president for six months. He was going to retire and Kamala Harris was going to be president. No, you're not giving any credence to the idea that he's leaving the ticket at all, no. even given the latest reports, what came out of the special prosecutor's office and all of that. I mean, it, it's being reported that Democrats are worried about how damaged he is. He may not be on the ticket, but as you know, my my theory is that the Democrats want Trump to win. So, so I'm I'm not convinced that anything. So they're going to let it be Kamala if that's the case. If if need be. That's an interesting theory. We have to explore that another day. But we've got more Lincoln to get through as uh, the Civil War is coming, boys and girls. So we continue on Bill McLive. your ticket for today's train of thought at 321-768-1240. Dave does history. Dave Bowman with us on Bill McLive, wrapping up the discussion on Abraham Lincoln and uh, the day after his birthday, by the way. So uh, we're glad Dave is digging us into this. And if you want in here, 321-768-1240, we'll get to calls at the end of this segment. Where are we at, Dave? He's becoming president, I guess. I, I can talk anyway, so it doesn't yeah. matter to me. My recorder will pick it up. I'm good to go. So in the election of 1860, as you know, Lincoln wins and he wins big. But the only reason he wins big is because the Democrats are so divided. They, the slaveholding Democrats do not like Douglas because Douglas believes in something called popular sovereignty, which is that any new territory or state gets to decide for itself whether it's a slave state or not. They don't like that. They think that new states should be slave states, period. Long story short, the Democrats are so fractured that even Abe Lincoln, who is not necessarily warmly embraced by the entirety of the Republican Party, wins in a landslide and becomes president. Of course, this leads immediately to the secession of South Carolina, followed by seven other states, followed by uh, the rest of them as well. 
and eventually the firing on Fort Sumter, which starts the tragedy of the American Civil War, which is, you know, you look at it today and you go, literally, the two dumbest wars in history, World War One, which has, I mean, you just, it just boggles the mind when you try to figure out why this war was fought. And, and shouldn't those people have been smarter? You look at the American Civil War and you understand, you know, the, the basic ideas here, unlike certain presidential candidates who don't seem to know that. But at the same time, you wonder, would this, was there nothing else they could have done? But South Carolina went their own way and started the war and off we went. I'm not here to rehash the entirety of the Civil War. Um, Next week, we are going to get into a specific Civil War battle that will be of interest to you, the only Civil War battle fought in the state of Florida. But at the at the end of the day, this gives Lincoln this opportunity to evolve in his own mind thinking from, am I just anti-slavery, to can this country really survive if half of us are slaves and half of us aren't, as he famously said. And so this leads, of course, to the Emancipation Proclamation, which, as even Nancy Pelosi has pointed out, is an early version of an executive order, which does not, in fact, free the slaves. It frees the slaves in the states that remain in rebellion. So if Virginia, on December 15th of 1862, had said, you know what, that's it, we're, we're coming back, they would have gotten to keep their slaves under the Emancipation Proclamation. But since they didn't, Lincoln declares them henceforth forever free. Okay, this is how this goes on. It is a pathway to what will become the 13th Amendment, which is what Lincoln really wants, is a constitutional amendment to eliminate slavery. The war goes its course. Of course, we have the Gettysburg Address, and so many things we could talk about with, with Lincoln's relationships with his generals, with his leadership during the Civil War, with his ability to withstand criticism, Bill. I mean, his wife was investigated by Congress during the American Civil War for being, quote, a a potential spy. And Abraham Lincoln had to go to Congress, testify before the House that as far as he knew, his wife was not a spy. Can you imagine that? Did she have a server in an outhouse or what? No, she just happened to be Southern in sentiments, I guess. I don't know. Okay, it, yeah. The whole thing was ridiculous. And, of course, the saddest, the tragic end of, of Abraham Lincoln when he's assassinated by John Wilkes Booth is is sad in and of itself. That's a story that, as a child, really used to make me tear up a lot, That that vision of Abraham Lincoln being shot. But when you realize the damage that was done to the entirety of the nation because of that, Lincoln's approach to Reconstruction was much different than what the radical Republicans in Congress ended up with, and they would have had a hard time standing up against him in that process. But they, because he wasn't there, and because the new president was essentially a Democrat, they were able to push through those things that led to so many of the tragic events that would follow that, and really left the nation in in many ways, Bill even more divided than it had been before the American Civil War. People don't think about this stuff. We don't understand this stuff. The 
1876, many people in the South were putting on their Confederate Union for, uniforms, flying Confederate flags again, because they were ready to go to war again over not slavery, but their same concept of, of who and what should be there. And so at the end of the day, it was one of those things that it's to me it's the it's the biggest tragedy in the history of our country and has led in many ways to many of the problems that we face today can be traced back straight to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. We pick it all up with your calls in 60 seconds on Bill McLaugh. Wrapping up, Dave does history. We're going to get to your calls and see what you're thinking this morning. Line one, you're up on uh, Bill McLive. Good morning. Hey, guys. This is Steve from Melbourne. Um, I I spent uh, 18 years of my life before finally moving down here in Springfield, Illinois. And you have the Lincoln Museum there, which I've gone to like seven or eight times. I don't understand why people say that the Civil War, it was a backbone, but the main reason the Civil War was fought until two years into it was, was states' rights because the, the North couldn't allow the South to sell their agricultural goods to England or France or anywhere else because they would starve to death. But they weren't paying the same prices as these other countries. And they had tariffs, and they were horrible. There were atrocities committed by the North on these southern ships, and no one ever talked about that. Slavery wasn't really an issue until, I mean, it was an issue, but the main issue was Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, needed needed more troops. And here were these, here were these blacks that they said, wow, I can have a lot more troops here. And no one ever talks about it the way it actually happened. No one ever talks about it, Steve, because that's complete and utter nonsense. I have seven books on my shelves from seven of the seceding states. Every one of these states, they don't talk about tariffs. They don't talk about ships being attacked. They talk about that man means to take our slaves away. And that's why we're seceding. That's why we're fighting. They said that, not me. Line two, you're next on Bill Make Live. Good morning. Good morning. This is Mario in Cape Canaveral. Great Good discussion. Uh, 30 years before the Civil War actually uh, began, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville in Democracy in America said that there, he said, he came right out and he said, there is going to be a civil war between the North and the South because of Northern economic and political aggression. And he used the word, Alexis de Tocqueville used the word aggression, and he spoke of the of the economic aggression. He spoke of just what your previous caller just spoke of. This was an economic war, and it did not start out... It, right, but it, what's the economics of this? The economics of this is the South wants free labor in slavery. Yes, de Tocqueville said that. So did Jefferson. So did Washington. All of these things are true, but at the end of the day, who shot first, and why did they shoot? Alexis de Tocqueville. De Tocqueville did not shoot first. Who shot first, Mario? Hey, Mario, if you can't answer the question and have the conversation, it's over. Dave, ask you a question. question. What's the question? Who shot first and why did they shoot? They shot because they had to shoot. It was economic. No, they didn't. Nobody had to shoot. In fact, many of the people in South Carolina were furious at them for shooting. 
You have brought upon us a war, and this war is going to devastate us, they said. The North was moving towards war for 30 years at least. So of course, sooner or later. How do you figure the North was moving? Stephen Douglas was the number one nominee of the Northern Democrats who favored not dealing with South. Lincoln himself said, I'm not going to do away with slavery. Where is this war? The state right that was being fought for was the state right to own a human being, which is repugnant and indefensible. And we leave that there for now. So, Dave. A, a an existing legacy, as you note, Lincoln always in the top five, usually in the top two of either favorite or most acclaimed presidents. So, what are we left with today? Well, we still see Lincoln in that vein, but again, we don't understand how divisive of a figure he was, as you can see there from the callers. Oh, it's it's Lincoln's fault. You're turning around and blaming the other guy for doing the right thing. Slavery was pathetic. Slavery was embarrassing. Slavery is one of those things that, yeah, I, I don't know how anybody can read Frederick Douglass and not come to that conclusion. But there have been a Super Bowl ad on slavery if, if they'd have had one back then. Probably. But yeah. the, at the end of the day, you're also left with this idea that just because you were anti-slavery or even abolitionist did not necessarily mean that you were for equality of races. And that's part of the problem that you have in all of this. This idea of we, we were fighting for states' rats annoys me because, again, this is free. You can go on. You can look it up. It's online. Every one of these yeah. states that had a convention tells you exactly why they're, why they're seceding and why they're fighting. None of them mention any of that. It's all about these people are going to take the slaves. One more quick call, line one. You're on Bill McLaughlin. Hi, I'm Patty from West Melbourne. Make it quick, Patty. Uh, listen, I heard this many times. Was it anyone ever heard uh, Abraham Lincoln say that he wanted to uh, send the slaves back after the after the war? Now, I'm not saying he did. I love I love him. Has any uh, Have you heard that, sir? Yes, it, it's called the the the. I want to call it the Monrovia plan, but that may not be the right number. The idea was to send them back to Liberia, which was a, was, was a country in Africa founded by former U.S. slaves. The idea was to get them out. This is what I was talking about earlier. Just because you were anti-slavery or even abolitionist didn't mean that you believed in equality of races. And there were many Northerners who believed that the former slaves should be sent back to Africa. And they tried it. It didn't work. And today, Liberia is one of the... One of the uh, Huh, armpits of the universe right now. Yeah, very true. Dave, we've got uh, a little over 30 seconds to go here. Next week, you mentioned Florida in the Civil War, one battle here? Yeah, there's one major battle that's fought in the American Civil War in Florida, and we're going to talk about it. It's called the Battle of Ocean Pond. Ever hear of it? Nope. You will. And that'll be next Tuesday on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman, fun day today. Thank you for taking the time and putting the work in to make it all happen. See you next week.